think everybody has a story um, that they um, that they should share. Um, the story about their lives and why they chose to be in education. And that story um, actually connects to your purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing. And if you keep going back to that story, then you'll have a reason as to why you're doing what you're doing in education. And it will also connect you with other individuals that may have the same same story. So my passion um, has always been, uh, well, my story is, I wanted to be an educator because of the people that have, the educators that have helped me to get to where I'm at. Um, I'm first generation, I'm Haitian American, first generation college student. Um, and I came from poverty. My mom has a third grade education. Um, so basically, um, I had teachers that didn't give up on me when I wanted to give up on myself. And they were the ones that helped me to go through, uh, through high school, through college, and made me realize that there are other students just like me that are in the school system that are misguided, that they need that instruction. So, you know, I think the reason why I can go back and continue to be a voice for education is because I have that story. And I think a lot of people have the same story. And I think that's the that's the key. That's the key to being committed to it. And that's the key to ensuring that you don't lose your passion for education, which can be easily done based off of all the stuff that's going on with standardization and everything. Um, but that will get you back into the right path for education. The inspiration of the personal stories of my guests has been part of the success of this series. As you listen, you'll find yourself immersed in the experiences of others. We share many commonalities as a people, and my next guest expresses his inspiration, which was sparked by the teachers, which allowed him to pursue his pathway in educational leadership. You'll be inspired as he shares what leaders should be doing to reach their most vulnerable students and how we can work together to build capacity to push teachers toward greatness. It gives me great pleasure to introduce this next episode of the We See You Teacher series from where I came, featuring Dr. Wilnick Gideon. Welcome to the podcast. Um, pleased to have Dr. Wilnick Gideon, a proud educator from uh, Riviera Beach, Florida, of Haitian descent. And he's a passionate and devoted educator. Uh, Dr. Gideon has worked as a secondary educator in the content area of mathematics, and he previously served as the dean of students at Boca Raton uh, High School. Uh, Dr. Gideon received his bachelor's degree in secondary mathematics education from the Florida State University, go mm -hmm. Knowles, <laughs> and received his master's and doctoral degree in educational leadership from Lynn University. Dr. Gideon has been involved with and chaired many educational committees throughout his career. He also served his community by being a coach, a mentor for our youth, and has created a back-to-school community drive for underprivileged students in Palm Beach County, Florida. He's involved with many organizations, including Take Sock and Children Scholarship Foundation, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity, uh, the Florida Fund for Minority Teachers, and he's volunteered his time for these various organizations. He was a recipient of the Palm Beach County School Counselors Association Administrator of the Year Award and also won the Take Stock and Children Alumni of the Year Award, both for Palm Beach County and the state of Florida. So Dr. Gideon believes in teaching and, and leading with love, purpose, and joy, and he sincerely hopes that he could partner with these community leaders and teachers, staff, and parents 
and students to help students unlock their gifts and reach their potential. Uh, Dr. Gideon, it's my honor to welcome you to this podcast. Thank you. Um, I want to begin by talking about our youth, um, the re- this reason why we chose education. I want you to speak from your perspective as an administrator and a mentor because you have a certain rapport with youth um, that you know many uh, people may be envious of because mm-hmm. of your uh, just y- the natural gifts that you have in being able to establish that rapport with our youth um, as evidence with your work at, with Take Stock with Children and in your role as an administrator. And uh, I wanted to ask you, what are our youth, particularly our young men of color, trying to say but we're not hearing? Um, I think uh, the the young men are trying to basically uh, see if we care for them. I think um, as administrators, um, a community, as a community school um, in public education, we have to build those uh, and establish those relationships with our students and understand um, what they're crying for is um, for us to help them. And the only way we can find that out is by actually establishing those relationships and finding out what, what their needs are. And what have you found out? What what are those needs that we're talking about? I know that the children have various challenges, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes you hear, well, I don't know how to help them. You know, yeah. uh, I, I can't relate to what they're going through. So how do you, what would you say to those educators or those leaders that are trying to help, but they're not sure how? I think the biggest thing is listening. Um, just hearing them out, um, not casting uh, preconceived notions about them and, and their communities and where they're coming from, um, and finding out what their interests are, what they what do they like. Um, that's where that beginning conversations can come from, um, just being able to find out what are their interests. And once you understand their interests and you also are comfortable to share you know, your experiences with them, um, then you can start establishing those relationships as you try to answer their call. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I wanted to talk about as black educators, you know, we have this certain, I call it a burden, uh, but it, it's really a big responsibility that is placed upon us. And I use the term burden in a good way, uh, particularly as teachers of color, uh, and lawyers of color, doctors of color, um, politicians of color. Um, there is this responsibility that we don't have the same luxury as you know, some of our other counterparts who just do our job because uh, we have to be for our students who look up to us. And um, I wanted to talk to you about what 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 about this burden of responsibility and and how does that show up with you when you come to work every day? Yeah, and I believe the uh, the position um, that I'm in is influential uh, to students just to be able to see that um, there are people um, just like them. Um, that are in education and that are the leaders in making decisions for them. Um, it, I, I believe that it pr- uh, produces an opportunity for kids to have a comfort um, level with the people that are leading them in the school system. Um, a lot of kids have to see someone succeeding or someone that is in those leadership positions um, for them to also feel like they can get into those positions. And I think um, being someone that comes from a you know tough background, Haitian American, grew up in Riviera Beach, Florida, which is you know at that time one of the uh, worst cities to live in, um, as far as violence is concerned. Um, to see uh, for kids to see me come out of that kind of environment and me sharing my where I come from with those students, um, really um, I believe helps them to be inspired to make it out of their own situation. Um, so that's the benefit of having like leaders that have come from that situation 
uh, to be able to be examples for the kids. So not only are you an example for them, but you also can um, speak for them on behalf of those students and be someone that can relate to their experiences so that when you're making educational decisions as an organization, um, that you're, you're, you, you come from a heart that uh, relates to those um, students and individuals. I, I want to talk to you because you said, uh, you know, something very interesting about speaking, uh, you know, speaking up for them. Uh, can you give us a time or an example or just uh, in generalities about a time when you maybe had to do that? You know, you had to use your position to speak up, you know, for a student who otherwise may not have had that um, opportunity for themselves. And, you know, just using uh, my experiences or what the, the research says about um, holding high expectations for those individual students. So I would say a time where I had to do that was um, just using my personal experience as to how um, there were leaders in my in my community that had high expectations for me, uh, that wanted me to be successful. Um, and so they didn't lower the, the bar when it came to curriculum for me. They didn't lower the bar when it came to encouraging me to take higher level and upper level classes like AP and honors. Um, so my conversations would be the same, uh, encouraging our you know community or, our, or my team uh, to look at our students and uh, having those high levels of expectations for them. Because I'm an example of someone who came from that kind of community uh, that made it, that had people that believed in them, educators that believed in them. And, and so when it comes down to, you know, ensuring that their success, uh, not lowering the bar for them and actually pushing our educators to make sure that they also believe in those students as well. Yeah. How do you have those tough conversations with your colleagues um, uh, who might have a deficit view and say, well, I don't think this student is ready. And you know in your heart, well, if this student is pushed, they are ready. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you facilitate those tough conversations with your colleagues? Um, and you said you're saying it correctly. It's a tough conversation, and um, and we all come in with our own um, biases. Yeah. Um, so we all have to come in and respect each other. Um, you know, we share our own experiences. Uh, we share what we have learned, um, but we really take a data um, approach to every conversation, research-based approach to every conversation. And that way, that takes away the bias, the biasness that may, you know, that may be there. Mm -hmm. um, um, in when we having those conversations, those tough conversations, uh, but it's going to require also building a relationship with your staff members and in your community to um, ensure that you know we're all in one page. Um, I think the biggest thing also is to have a vision, a clear vision of the expectations that you want for your school community. Uh, what you want for your um, for your students, your staff, and that commitment and having that vision and branding that to uh, to your entire community will help to support that initiative. Absolutely, and I want to uh, black teachers at this school and, and black teachers uh, are also looking up to you in addition to those black students as well. Uh, you are a prominent administrator, and there's this sort of this unspoken ideal or this uh, expectation of you, like you spoke about. Um, that, yeah, because he's up there in that position, he's going to look out for me, mm -hmm. you know. And I say that through the guise of, of the research, as you alluded to, saying that while black teachers are leaving the field at a greater rate than their, um, their non-black uh, counterparts, you parallel that to a Harvard study that claims that all students of color uh, benefit from having a teacher of color. Um, uh, and, and all students... Um, 
in general, um, benefit from having a teacher of color. So as an administrator, understanding the need to recruit and retain black teachers, what is your role in that as you're in the rooms uh, influencing those decisions um, and being in the meetings? And what can administrators do who are um, not black um, be doing better to ensure that their teachers of diverse backgrounds are feeling supported? Um, it goes back to establishing relationships and really um, listening to all your stakeholders' uh, needs. Um, you know, and also, again, going back to that mission, I think when people know uh, what, when they have a sense of purpose, um, they're more likely uh, to stay committed to something. Um, but when they don't have a sense of purpose and we're not sharing that as a team in a community, um, then you will have people that decide to leave um, regardless of color mm -hmm. or skin. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, it's important to really establish the why. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing this? What's the purpose of you being here? Everybody, what, what's the purpose of all of us being here? How can we support our students? And once you have that established, that community vision, I think that's where people will be more um, will, will be more willing to stay. Especially when you start to produce results and you're showing the impact of being around the community. So you got to use the data analysis as well mm -hmm. to showcase the importance of the why. And I do, um, I, I do. I think that's very important because. Uh, I often uh, struggle with, uh, sometimes I struggle with the data in terms of how it purports, of course, that, you know, having a black teacher in a classroom makes a difference. But I do think having an effective black teacher in a classroom, I don't think it just has to do with them being black, but they have to have that effectiveness in the classroom mm -hmm. because if they're not being effective, then I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah. Um, but I do think that... Um, you know, uh, w with you being an administrator, do you feel like uh, it? Do you feel that extra responsibility to sort of, I don't know, maybe uh, foster their improvement a little bit more, or if you see someone struggling or not, kind of? I guess um, I, I want to sort of use you you as an example as when you were an educator coming up and those te those administrators came to you and said hey we'd like to see you in this uh role one day mm -hmm. so how do you essentially pay that forward in your position with your teachers here in the building i, I believe in the moniker iron sharpens iron so whatever instructions that i've received um, over my years and the knowledge that i've gained i believe it's important to um, also build the capacity of your educators um, and that's throughout. I think, um, and I think that will also build uh, your educators in wanting to do the best job uh, when they see that you are investing in them and that you care about their their growth, um, and that you you're speaking to them and giving them you know honest feedback. Um, that you're not just giving feedback, and I mean you're not just giving observations and not providing tools to make them better and improve. Um, that if you're asking them to improve, that you uh, um, at a certain level that you're providing that same uh, amount of support uh, for them. I think the biggest thing is supporting them, ensuring that you're there for them, and showing that you are willing to give them opportunities to grow in their field. Those are um, tools and uh, for those educators to feel that they're wanted at that environment and that they uh, they can also improve and be better and possibly fill in your role uh, when, when you decide to leave. Um, it's just a sustainable approach of being a leader is by building the capacity of your educators.
Absolutely. And uh, in every school, environment is different. So uh, you have some years under your belt, and, you know, you, but there are there are some principles in APs, and this happens in all professions, um, that have um, made it to a certain point where they feel like, you know, I can't align myself to a certain group. Um, but to some degree, um, I guess, uh, having that sort of dealing with that, um, being the administrator for all without trying to seem like you're being the administrator for some, um, and without your teachers of color feeling like you're not being there for them specifically. Yeah. So that's sort of a tough, um, uh, Actuality for um, black administrators um, because here you have to be an administrator for everybody. Yeah. But then your teachers of color may feel like you have to be an administrator for them specifically. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how do you reconcile with that? I think um, the biggest thing is just being fair, you know, firm and consistent, making sure that the messages that you provide to all your staff member follow that moniker of fair, firm, and consistent. Um, you know, if there's an area that they need to improve on, that you're supporting them um, and you're helping them to achieve that desired effect. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, not going and being unfair because, I mean, if you are just focused on one community, then you're, you're going to, you know, impact the other community. So um, you just got to come in it together. You know, you build that vision together, use all stakeholders um, in the decision making process. Uh, if there's an idea um, that one of the members in each group would like to come up with, bring it in the table and share it amongst the community. Um, celebrate success for all everybody that's you know achieving you know the desired effect that they want. Uh, just you know, just you have to come in as a team approach and, uh, and involving all the stakeholders um, in the decision making process. Absolutely, and. Um like I, I think uh, that's so important about that that team approach and everybody having a voice. Um, but what happens to that teacher that doesn't feel like they have that voice? Um, uh, I guess we'll call them maybe the forgotten teacher mm -hmm. that feels like here I am. I'm giving it my all, or I'm you know I'm doing the best I can for the students, and I feel like my voice isn't being heard. Mm -hmm. um, and it's impossible for you to to know that if they don't speak up. Um, but how can you make sure that, um, you know, that teacher that feels like, you know, because because they're a minority or because they're a woman or because they're Hispanic, that my voice doesn't hold as much weight in this field? I think the biggest thing um, all administrators should do is have an open door policy. Um, allow, you know, all of their educators to feel comfortable to be able to communicate with them when they're feeling a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. um, and that will open up the conversations that must be had um, to support them in whatever that is. Our role is not to tell them to do things um, without supporting them. We have to ensure that we're supporting them the best that we can. And it, it's tough. It can be a, a tough situation, a tough conversation to have with those educators. But um, if you open your doors and you, show, you showcase your you know team in your school, that you you know you're there for them. I think um, they'll be more comfortable when those situations arises for them to communicate those situations with you. And and then as an administrator, you gotta listen to it, take it in. Don't take uh don't take it as a negative feedback, 
but as an opportunity, you know, to to grow as a as an organization and bring it back in the table to see how you can improve whatever uh, that feeling is um, to make them feel more comfortable being in that environment. Absolutely. Um, I talked about this um, in, in some of my previous podcasts about the journey of finding your voice. Um, you know, as you may know, black men represent 2% of educators nationwide. And um, whenever I read that stat, um, it, it, it's sort of, uh, it, it's, it's disheartening because you wish the number would change or go up. And in the past 10 years, it really hasn't um, changed at all. Um, you know, as a black man in educational circles, we're sure to be the only ones in the room. So your work with FFMT and um, the Florida Fund for Minority Teachers, um, a lot of teachers are going to go in excited about, you know, their field and excited about the changes that they're going to make and wind up <laughs> probably in the wrong environment and getting their spirit squashed, mm-hmm. you know, um, so I want to talk to you about how did you find your voice in education? And um, and even when it became difficult, um, how did you maintain your voice? I want you to talk a little bit about that journey. I think everybody has a story um, that, they, um, that they should share, um, the story about their lives and why they chose to be in education. And that story um, actually connects to your purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing. And if you keep going back to that story, then you'll have a reason as to why you're doing what you're doing in education. And it will also connect you with other individuals that may have the same same story. So my passion um, has always been, uh, well, my story is I wanted to be an educator because of the people that have, the educators that have helped me to get to where I'm at. Um, I'm first generation, I'm Haitian American, first generation college student. Um, and I came from poverty. My mom has a third grade education. Um, so basically, um, I had teachers that didn't give up on me when I wanted to give up on myself. And they were the ones that helped me to go through col- uh, through high school, through college, and made me realize that there are other students just like me that are in the school system that are misguided, that may need that instruction. So, you know, I think the reason why I can go back and continue to be a voice for education is because I have that story. And I think a lot of people have the same story. And I think that's the that's the key. That's the key to being committed to it. And that's the key to ensuring that you don't lose your passion for education, which can be easily done based off of all the stuff that's going on with standardization and everything. Um, but that will get you back into the right path for education. Absolutely. And, um, and, what, and what would you... Um if you, I have a segment called Magic Wand, and uh, in in this segment, what what I what I like to ask is, if you could wave your magic wand in the field of education, uh, what would you change? I think the biggest thing is, uh, well, I have two things. Um, bring the respect back into education. I think that's the most important thing. I think educators are not respected um, as they should be. Why do you think um, that is? I, I don't. I think uh, you know. There's a mis, um guidance about the people that are educators are people that um, that couldn't get into other fields. Um, but if you ask any educator, the educators that are in the field are because they wanted to make a difference in the lives of individuals. So just changing that mindset of what education is about. It's not just the teachers that are in the bottom. It's the teachers that really want to make an impact and difference. That's why they chose the field. Um, and 
you know, and increasing opportunities for them to get paid. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why people leave and it's not probably in the conversations. But, you know, I think if we can start to figure out how we can support our educators um, economically, um, increase their quality of living, um, I believe um, we're looking at their human capital. Because that's one thing we always neglect is their human capital. We say, oh, go teach our students, go do this. Um, but we don't respect them and we're not building their human capital, which is important uh, for them to re- remain in education and actually making the field um, an education that is respected in the world. Yeah, I just, um, you know, I resonate with that. And um, I recently read a piece in the USA Today about why uh, educators are leaving the field. And of course, you know, um, them having to work two and three jobs you know, in addition to being an educator, it's just not yeah. uh, sustainable for them and their families. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that we really need to do something, yeah. you know, in terms of that. Um, when you talk about those opportunities to increase, um, you know, for educators, uh, talk about some ideas that you might have in terms of uh, increasing their potential uh, to maybe earn, you know, I think uh, we need to tap into um, some of the corporate businesses, uh, not necessarily taxing them, but finding ways how we can uh, uh, get them in the table um, to share how they can help us out. I mean, Florida itself has a one trillion dollar um, GDP growth domestic. You know, four percent of that is um, forty billion dollars. But you know, our education just increased. Um, the we have a they call it teacher pay. They're doing um, the best and the brightest program in the state of Florida. Yes. And, you know, the governor just said, oh, we want to increase it by $400 million um, this year. So they're giving us $400 million. But if you look at the, that compared to the GDP, you're talking about point zero four percent of the actual GDP for the government. Uh, we have lower taxes uh, for our corporate organizations. We have you know, been doing that for years, you know, reducing the taxes that we're um, asking them to pay. And on top of that, um, you know, now you have different counties going back to the table and are trying to increase taxes uh, mainly because they, they can't find ways to fund their educators. So I think as a state, we have to figure out better methods to um, help our educators and get these corporate organizations in, into the table and, and assisting us with that, the, the decisions of what we're going to do. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying forcing them to tax them or anything like that, but that that needs to have a conversation and it needs to be a bipartisan approach to that. And if we can figure it out, then maybe we won't be, you know, funding education with $400 million, which is 0.04% of our GDP. Maybe we can get a four, $400 million, but $4 billion that can help us out and helping our educators. So I think increasing pay is going to require all of us to come back in the table and organizations that, you know, are benefiting from the lower taxes to assist us in that. Otherwise, we're going to continue to ask, you know, go back in the ballot. Every county is going to try to raise taxes some kind of way mm-hmm. to fix our buildings. You know, our, uh, our the buildings are decaying out here in, in the state of Florida. We had to do a tax to, you know, improve the quality of the buildings. And then we just had to do a tax just recently in Palm Beach County to increase the pay for our educators. And it's unfair, I think, um, when we're um, we're voting these leaders to make decisions for us as a state. 
um, that they need to come to the table and really work with these organizations that are benefiting to support our educator pace. Yeah, I, I always say teacher teaching is fun, but it's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard work, but it's really fun. And I think that um, you you really bring up a good point in terms of uh, incorporating the business community to try to find solutions for uh, the teacher pay crisis, um, what I call it. Um, before we leave, I wanted to talk to you about um, a little bit about Take Stock in Children. Yes. I think it's an important organization, and I wanted to talk to you about uh, mentorship, mm-hmm. the importance of mentorship in education yes. at schools. Yes. And um, and talk a little bit about what Take Stock in Children does and the importance of mentorship in schools. Yeah, so Take Stock in Children is a school-based mentoring program, and basically it's um, an organization that offers a scholarship to students as well as provide a mentor to a student. And basically the students have to stay tr- uh, crime and drug-free, and they have to ensure that they graduate high school and meet the um, GPA requirements to obtain this um, scholarship, which they can use at a pub, uh, community college or um, another uh, four-year public institution in the state of Florida. Um, and so basically the mentoring, I was part of that organization when I was younger, and I think it was one of the things that benefited me um, I got the scholarship when I was in sixth grade, and and it was so beneficial to me because um, I had someone that can guide me. I think a lot of our kids are misguided; um, they are unsure uh, where their their direction in life is. Um, and in order to be part of this Take Stock of Children scholarship, you got to be someone that's in you know has free or reduced lunch, or someone that's coming from poverty. Or first generation college and be a first generation college student. So a lot of these kids are probably misguided, and in their communities they may not have individuals that have you know become successful. And so having that mentor allows them to have someone that they can communicate on a week to week basis um, that can teach them the way or guide them um, in becoming uh, who they want to be later on in the future. So mentors are like life shapers. So they you know they they mold them like clay. And they try to build that student to be the person that they're they're capable of being. Um, and so that's one thing about mentoring. I think we need to do more um, as far as the schools is concerned. And we need probably more of that because even our students now, most of them are misguided when they're near school. Education does one thing. Education provides knowledge for the students, um, which is important. But we need something that is going to encourage kids or someone that is going to give them direction as to where to go as well. So I think that's something that we need to, you know, potentially consider, or maybe even continuously support these organizations that are offering mentorship organizations uh, to our schools. Awesome. Before we get out of here, I just wanted you to uh, encourage our uh, our younger teachers that may be listening to this podcast, maybe listening to you, um, you know, considering the field or in the field. Uh, what would you say to them in terms of encouragement uh, with regards to their decision to choose education? I think education is the most rewarding field um, that you can possibly be in. Um, you know, you're molding a mind. You are actually making an impact that a lot of people don't give you credit for. Uh, one of the impacts is we're creating productive citizens in this world. Um, and we have the the key to making someone that didn't believe in themselves um, actually make something out of themselves. Uh, we have an opportunity to see our communities be built through education, and I think um, that's a major responsibility. So being in education is a purposeful 
um, purposeful field. And and remember, educators are the ones that create doctors. They're the ones that create lawyers. They're the ones that create the next entrepreneur. Um, you know, the big time businessmen, the finance degrees. Um, without education, none of that will be. And um, and again, it, it being in education also does things like reduce crime, and it helps support kids from going into uh, the bad paths. So you know, if you're interested in education, I think you're choosing the right field to get into. Uh, because you're you're doing so much for the for the world, um, and you're doing so much for the lives of individuals. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Gideon, thank you so much for participating in this podcast. I really appreciate your insight, uh, your passion, uh, very thank motivational, you. and thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely.